today on The Breakdown. It's our fourth week at the World Series of Poker 2018, and a lot of stuff has happened. Grant has cashed in two more World Series events. Some listeners have gone very deep in some other World Series events. And lots of other just wacky, crazy things have happened, both at the World Series in our own experience. We're going to take it all apart right now on The Breakdown with Grant Dennison and Jonathan Levy. I'm not going to do the fake music this time. That's played out. Yes. So, yes, it is. See, I, I read the room. Yeah, good I know, job. I know when to stop, you know? Do you? <laughs> do you know when to stop, Yeah, I'm though? not like Andrew Dice Clay. I like I know when people are tired of me. That guy did very well. Yeah, but does he know when people are tired of him? I don't know. I think he, he, that's part of his shtick is that people are tired of him. He's like, is that, is every- that your shtick? Is that people are tired of you and you know it? <laughs> is that your thing now? Why did this turn in this direction? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. You, this is. It didn't have to go this way. Well, you're the one who made it go that you way. You started it anyway. Let's get into the show. The show. Um, yeah, I did cash in two more World Series events. It's, it's kind of cool. I've I've played four World Series events. I've cashed three, but yeah. Unfortunately for me, there, two of them are like min plus caches, and one of them is an actual min cash, which yeah. is a little bit sad. I mean, it's it's way better than not cashing. Absolutely. But you know, a little disappointing to every time the Monster Stack, the Millionaire Maker, and the 3K Big Blind Annie tournament. Every time going into the money, I had like between 20 and 40 blinds and felt pretty good, and then just things just went poorly and. You know, you got to just put yourself in that position, I guess. Yeah, that's better than what's been going on for me, where it feels like in almost every event I play, I get to like the final 15 to 14% of the players and then don't make the money, which has happened a crazy amount on this trip so far. But you do have the biggest score of the trip. I do have the biggest score of the trip, it's true, which has sort of kept me afloat on this trip. Without that one, I'd be I'd be a sad boy. But um, But yeah, but still, it's been a little frustrating in that way, too. Min caches are better than non caches. Big caches are better than min caches. This is how the world works. <laughs> yes, this is definitely, <laughs> definitely how the world works. Yeah. Um, and we are going to be playing the main day one B tomorrow. Yes. So hopefully that that turns out well. I'm really rooting for some some money in that one. <laughs> well, no kidding. The, I'd the, like to the I'd 10k like to event, money. With, which is like the best field in the world. You're hoping they'll do well in that. It'd be great to at least make some money, if not a lot. That'd be fantastic. Okay. Just putting it out there. So that's like that's gonna draw near the conclusion of our World Series. Of course, if yeah. we don't make day twos, there are other things we can play because we're gonna be here for a couple days after that. But just based on that, we've been here for a while now. Let's talk about the grind, the okay. grind of the World Series. I think it's interesting because. A lot of people who are listening, I know, are professional players. A lot of people are aspiring professional players. A lot of people have no interest in being a professional player. They just kind of like poker. But something that is kind of lost on a lot of people before they really do it, especially the World Series level grind, is the the level that the grind can really eat at you, especially if you're not having any big scores. You know what I mean, Jonathan? I do. Uh, there's a lot that's going on. Like I've come out to Vegas every summer for the World Series since 2006 with the one exception. And so, and usually I've been here at least two weeks every time and often more, sometimes, sometimes the entire world series, sometimes six weeks. And, uh, so like I've been in, I've done the grind many, many times, the world series grind where you play every day or almost every day and things like that. And I will say when I had like a deep love and passion for poker, which I don't have the same way that I used to in terms of playing it. Like I played so many hours of it. I've been burnt out on it more than once. Um, and I need to like take breaks and stuff now from it. Um, but when I had that, it wasn't too bad to play almost every day. And I would take a day off here and there, but mostly I would play every day. And uh, when we got here this time, I think I played for the first two weeks or so. And there's sort of a combination of stuff that really got to me, I think. One is, besides my one score, which was a good score, 
Uh, nothing else was really working for me. Uh, nothing else was going well, uh, poker wise. Plus, being in Vegas itself is a grind. Yeah. Like, it's kind of brutal being outside. A lot of the people aren't really my kind of people. Sure. Uh, a lot of the way Vegas is is just not what I like. Now, some people I'm sure works great for, but I'm a Portland guy. You know, I like Boston. I like smaller cities that are like cool and a little hip and a little more like, I don't know. Not super materialistic. <laughs> yeah. So Vegas is the opposite of that, and it's it's a little rough for me. And so, like, I actually kind of, like, there was a point about two weeks in where I sort of was like, I hate it here and needed to take, and I took three days off in a row. It almost took four days off. Yeah, and that's what you got to do if you got to, I mean, of yeah. course, unless it's one of the super high-value tournaments that you have to play, like yeah. the Monster Stack or something. Sure. Um, yeah, it's interesting because it, it really differs based on personalities. I think, I don't, necessarily i haven't been playing poker as long as you jonathan yeah. so i don't think i necessarily would have a, the same reaction as you but i did it a little bit differently this year than you did in that after about a week and a half i went back to portland for three days and had a break that way and then the next weekend i had a bachelor party in denver so i got to leave and i think that was really key for me not getting burnt out you have these little breaks where you actually get away from vegas and I'm not saying this is true for everybody, but if, if you guys are planning a, a big World Series trip in the future, you have to kind of try to figure out what type of person you are, what type of player yeah. you are. Maybe your level of passion for the game, like Jonathan is describing earlier. But also, you may not know until you, you're there, mm -hmm. but give yourself space to leave for a while, I think is pretty key. Now, conversely, there are people who don't need that. Like, we're rooming with Wonka from Poker Time, Nick, and he just loves poker so much that he's fine just grinding every day all the time. Pretty much. Yeah, yeah that's true. Um, another thing, too, which depends on what kind of person you are, if you're going to be here for a while, is the difference between staying on the strip and staying off strip. Oh, so yeah, we're staying off strip, of I, course. I've stayed off strip every year except for my first. When in 2006, I stayed at the Rio for 17 days straight, and it was, I really regretted that. And, uh, and ever since then, I've always gotten an Airbnb or something like that, and it's way better for me anyway, where it's like I get away from all that. I'm mostly not on the strip. Oh, I need that I'm too. Playing. And it's like a more normal lifestyle, which for me is really important if you're going to be here for a while. Yeah, so I know a lot of you guys, we're, we're talking as if most of you haven't done this, which is probably true. Most of you probably haven't been here for you know a month plus for the yeah. whole series, but plenty of you have. So it'd be kind of interesting to, to give us your stories. You can tweet at us, like, tell us how you deal with the grind if, or if you love it anyway or stuff like that. It'd sure. Be interesting to hear. Our Twitter handle is, of course, at two poker guys, the number two poker guys. Yeah. So tweet at us, let us know. But yeah, that, the grind, is, it's an interesting thing. I will say, I don't feel like it affects my poker playing at all when I'm actually playing. Yeah, that's, that's important. Um, but it does affect my like, overall happiness, which is important also to me. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm really willing to like, just take a lot of time off, though. Like, I don't care. Like, so I, I took three days off. I was willing to take seven until the main event, basically. And then after three and a half days, I was like, you know what? All right, I think I'm ready. Yeah. And, and then I sort of started playing. I played for the last three days again. Yeah, you did a self-assessment. So the way I did it was slightly different. And then I scheduled my time off. And I was like, mm -hmm. that actually helped me emotionally because knowing I had that time off coming up is yeah. enough to like get me through times when it feels grindy anyway. Right. You know, I think, sure. So I think that's probably the best way to do it. But I'm not 100% sure. And honestly, for me, it's nice. Like, OK, so the main event's tomorrow. And... I don't know how long that's going to be, but if it lasts for a long time, I assume that won't be problematic for me. I assume I'll be right. like fine I with mean, that. I mean, yeah, if, if I get day four in the main exactly. event, I'm not going to be like, oh, it's such a grind. I'll exactly. be like, this is the best. It may I'm, be grueling, but it'll be like a good kind of grueling. It's a very exciting type of grueling. And it's also the thing where you're like, look, as soon as this is over, I can sleep for five days. Like, yeah. who cares? Like, right. I'm going to make it, I'm going to like really, really push to make it through this like with full focus, and that'll be that. Um, yeah, and there's sort of a freedom, and again, like, I'm going to play the main event tomorrow, and then. 
if I never bust, great. But it, whenever I do bust, besides the, the very few times I actually win the thing or come close to winning it, uh, I don't know what I'm going to do after that. Like, we may be here for another few days, and I may play, I may not play. I just don't know, and I'm just going to, like, play it by ear and not push anything. Cause, yeah. And it feels great to, like, give myself that level of freedom instead of being like, well, I'm in Vegas, I have to play. I don't. Right. Like, I played a lot. A lot. Well, it certainly helps if you're not a complete professional poker player. Like, we make money sure. from this podcast and from our videos. Of course. It helps to, to be like, okay, I don't have to play every day because I have that. And most people have other jobs as well. If you're an actual pro, you might feel obligated to play every day. If I was a pro, I'd probably be grinding cash, though, yeah. like I used to, you know, when I was a pro. Right. You know, as opposed to, and like, play, some, play a few tournaments, but mostly playing cash every day because, like, I could, you can't guarantee an income there, but, like, it's pretty close. Like, you know, you're going to win yeah. a certain hourly rate over time. And like, there's it's a good spot. There's you know? definitely a difference playing poker when you have other income and when you just make income from poker. Because sure. I've sat at cash tables like three times the entire time I've been here. And every time I've been like, why am I here? I don't um, want to play cash right now. I don't want to grind two five or five ten or whatever. I actually like grinding cash. Like I, I didn't really grind. I probably played four hours total of cash, but I've played four different, I think, times where I've actually sat down and played. And I've actually enjoyed it every time. It's, oh, more, it's better than I thought it would be. I haven't played any limit hold'em. It's all been no limit. I used to be, of course, for those of you who don't know, a uh, limit hold'em pro, and played that three days a week and made a living. But uh, but yeah, I've only I've played zero limit hold'em in a year now, and uh, so it's only been no limit. And it's been it's actually I enjoy the cash, the no limit cash, much more than I thought it would. It's less of a grind than a tournament because there's you don't have to like think in the same way about it you know what i mean like if the situation isn't changing all the time you have yeah. to like reassess what you're doing and why you're doing it and stuff like that it's much more just and you can leave whenever you want that is really nice you can leave whenever you want i've had a lot of things where i play like all day and in deep into the night and then bust deep into the night just short of the money and it's like whew, another grueling day for nothing you know and so like that that can happen in cash but that's you don't it doesn't have to so that's nice anyway yeah. All right, let's get to some stories here. Yes. Um, let's talk about the PLO story. This okay. is a fun one. Jonathan, you should tell this because you were telling me earlier. Yeah, this, Wonka actually told me this story, but this is great and really cool. So there's a 1K PLO World Series event, and this guy, I don't know his name, actually. We could probably figure it out, but who cares? He, <laughs> he registered at the very last possible second. So I think you can register like six levels in or eight, probably eight levels in. Right? Uh, every World Series event is eight levels. Yeah, now. so it's eight levels, yeah. right? So it's like eight hours into the PLO event, he can register. So that's what he did. Yeah, he registered at the last possible moment, came in, and then as he was playing, every single time it was on him, he took an abnormally long time to make a decision, which was always to fold. Which was always to fold. Not like some of the time he literally folded every single hand he played. Um, and took as long as possible every single time. He actually made the money of the 1K PLO World Series event without ever playing a hand. And then once he did that, he then revealed to the table that he had a bet that he would win $10,000 if, uh, if he pulled it off, right? So, I mean, that's remarkable, first of all. And it make, it's, it's, it's nice that he made a bet that was so big yeah, that like there were no weird perverse incentives at any point. No. You know, like it's really clear he should always be just trying to win that bet. Right, <laughs> and then once he makes the money, he can do whatever he wants. But he's gonna have no chips left. So, so he did it. He somehow I, I can't believe he pulled that off. But he, apparently, PLO was crazy enough in terms of just people have to get the chips in and, and all these spots that he just squeaked into the money. And then he, so he won that ten thousand dollars. He then took that ten thousand dollars, entered the ten k PLO event. So he must be at least pretty good. Yeah, and then final table that event. It's for real money. So pretty he good like parlay. Parlayed the hell out of that. Uh, it's really, it's a pretty weird story, but pretty cool. It's a bit of an indictment on the World Series 
uh, like registration structure yes. here because I don't think it would be possible to do that in a no limit event because of the kind of nitty nature of bubble play in, in no limit and yeah. like the general nitty nature of no limit tournaments. But in PLO, like Jonathan was saying, PLO is a crazier game and people just have to get it in a lot more with their like fifty five percent equity, right? Because the equities run so close. You yeah, know, there's you get it. You know, there's a pot. You know, someone raises, someone re-raises, the raiser almost always calls. Everyone has a pot size bet left. You flop 40% equity, you have to go. Yeah. Unless it's a, like, super intense ICM or bubble spot. You just have to go there. And so, like, these guys all know that, and so they just get it in constantly. Right. Right. So they need to maybe change how long you can late reg PLO events versus no limit events. Um, I guess you're right. Because this can't happen, right? You can't just you late shouldn't reg, be able to do not that. play, and make money. Like, you shouldn't be able to basically... You know, free roll your way to five hundred dollars or something like that. Now he apparently barely made it, so there's that. Yeah, and I imagine his table at some point was calling the clock on him every time. I assume, right? I don't even know. Like you know, sometimes they don't. Like sometimes it just takes forever, and people are just like you know, he takes a minute. He makes it look like he's thinking every time. We had a kid. Um, I played at an eleven hundred dollar mega yesterday, and. When there were still like 110 people left and 53 got paid, this kid was tanking on every single decision. And it was clear, like, he wasn't actually thinking about anything, you know. He would, but he made it look like he was thinking. So there's a point when I actually said to him, like, just sort of quite like, you know, you don't have to pretend. Like, yeah. everyone, it's fine. Like, you can just sit there. And, uh, and he said, I mean, everyone knows what I'm doing. But then he kept pretending he was thinking every time. <laughs> it's just natural, I guess. You yeah. can't help yourself. And then actually it's funny because the guy on his left got really upset about it and started, like you know, calling him names. And I was like, hey, come on. It's part of the game. It's fine. Like, by the way, the guy didn't call the clock. And then the guy to his left started get, lecturing the kid, saying it's better if we play more hands, not less in How? the satellite structure. Because the blinds were going to go up in this way. I mean, it was like a deep lack of understanding of what's going on. Um, so the kid didn't say anything, and I didn't say anything. And the guy kept going on and on. I finally said, I guess people have different strategies. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like, but of course tanking is better if you're, if you're doing that. I mean, of course it is. Like, you want to play no hands and let everyone else play hands, right? Everyone else is going to bust. You're not. Yeah, that's the satellite strategy that makes me hate satellites. Yeah, you do hate that. I, I don't really... mind them, actually. At least I've only played two this time around, but uh, I actually enjoyed both of them and uh, felt they were extremely profitable spots, even though I did not make money in either yeah, one. Yeah, that's not for me, gameplay-wise. Yeah, I understand it's a profitable spot. Yep. But the PLO story is pretty interesting. Yeah. You know what else is interesting, Jonathan? Yes. Okay. Nitrogen Sports Poker, baby. I can't believe you read my mind, but it is certainly interesting because it is a Bitcoin-only poker site, and every month we have an incredible tournament. We were not able to participate this last month because we, of course, were here at the yes. World Series of Poker, but... Henceforth, we shall be playing in these <laughs> Nitrogen Sports Poker Guys only tournaments where you have to be a listener or a viewer and use the link in the description of this podcast when you sign up for Nitrogen even to have access to the tournament, Jonathan. Yes. I like it. It's a Poker Guys only tournament. It sounds like only you and I are playing. Well, you know, it's hard to say words that make sense. Yes. Um, it's a Poker Guys and listeners only tournament yeah. for, and, and viewers, whatever. It's for you guys. How about that? You've heard us talk about it before, I'm sure, but it's such a high-value tournament, we have to talk about it again. It is amazing. It's a 0.1 millibit buy-in, and the guarantee is 100 millibits. That means the guarantee is 1,000 times the buy-in. The most players we've ever gotten is 73. I mean, come on! Yeah, you're getting like 14 to 1 on your money. You're fools not to play. You're not fools, so that means you got to be playing. If you're listening, you're not a fool. 
probably. You're probably a smart. You're likely a you're, smart. You're one of the smarts. <laughs> <laughs> sure, why not? Yeah, uh, Nitrogen has a lot of other stuff you can do. Obviously, they have a full poker room. It's not just this tournament. Yeah, where they, they have, have casino. They got sports betting. Yeah, sports betting. You can bet on the Lakers and stuff. LeBron, exciting stuff. Is it? Yes, it yeah, is. Yeah, it exciting. absolutely is. I don't think they're going to win anything this year, man. 50 well, then games, you could that's bet, it. You could bet on Nitrogen and see what they... I'm going to bet on other people, on other teams to win. Like perhaps my Boston Celtics grant. I don't know. Thinking about it. So you can go bet against Jonathan's inclinations here or with them on Nitrogen Sports Poker Room. Of course, we would like you to use the link in the description if you do just that. Because it lets Nitrogen know that you came through us and it helps us out a little bit. Yeah. So do that. Do that, please. All right. Speaking of listeners and the smarts and stuff, we've had some listeners and and friends in poker do quite well recently. It's true. Worth talking about. Let's do it. Well, the Monster Stack... Which I did cash in, but it was not super exciting. And Jonathan busted day one. Not super exciting. No, it was my most frustrating tournament I've played in 10 years. That was kind of the impetus for, for your slight depression for those three and a half days. That really kicked me into like, oh my God, I hate it here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But a couple shout outs here. One is to Matt Vaughn, who mm. is uh, also a poker YouTuber. He has a poker vlog. You can just find him by, by typing in Matt Vaughn. And we've done a couple things with him in the past. He's a super nice kid. Yeah. He had a pretty deep run. He made like 20K or something. He got something 40th, for, something 40th like that. place, something yeah, around yeah. there. That's really good in that event, which is a 6,200-player field this year. Yeah, really so, good. So good for him. Even better is uh, a listener, Danny Sprung. Shout out, Danny. Good job. Danny got 11th or 12th? I think it was 12th, but it was one something of those. Something like, like 74K. 70K, yeah. Great huge, job, Danny. Huge yeah. score. Actually, a friend of Mitchell Towner's, who uh, is our friend who won the Monster Stack a couple years ago. So I guess being in the Mitchell Towner orbit helps with Monster Stack stuff. Apparently so. Yeah. So congratulations to those guys. Those are good runs. Um, Another really big run is yeah. listener and friend of the poker guys, Jackie Burkhart. Yeah, Jackie Burkhart, who final tabled the ladies 1K event. Uh, she got fifth place. That's correct, for about 27,000? 28K, I, I think. Okay. So that was a field of almost 700 players. Yep. And uh, this is her second like pretty good run in a World Series event. She also did well in, I think it was the Monster Stack three years ago. Something like she, that. She made like, something like 27 or 30K. Yeah, some, yeah. So good job, Jackie. Congratulations on that. Jackie I know right now, right now it still probably hurts a little bit to get fifth. I know mm. I've gotten fifth in a World Series event before. Yeah. It, the sting doesn't go away for a couple of days, but it's still pretty nice. It yeah. will go away, and you'll be very happy because yeah. you did very, very well. Yeah, so congratulations to all of those people who are in the Poker Guys orbit who have had yes. a successful World Series. Absolutely, and we know there are more of you we probably haven't heard from, or sorry if we didn't get to you, but those are the ones we're aware of, at least off the top of our heads. Yeah, so good job. Um, let's talk a little bit about a concept that's been introduced in poker recently that Jonathan and I and pretty much every other pro that we talk to and even every other person who's not a pro that we talk to thinks is great. And that is the big blind anti structure in tournaments. And I thought it was the hot dogs for for break time structure. Hot dogs. I love that. You, if you're not at Binions now, they give you hot dogs during the breaks. They're just like, here's a hot dog because you play. It's you, amazing. You've played one Binions event. Yeah, you were there. <laughs> there were no hot dogs. In my mind, there were hot dogs, bro. <laughs> okay. Hot dogs. Uh, that's a great point, Jonathan. Thanks. But Thanks. let's talk about the other thing. Okay. The big blind anti. Yeah. So. I'm sure you've heard of it by now, but if you haven't, it's simply that once antis kick in, which now occurs a bit earlier with the big blind anti structure, yeah. the entire table's ante is paid for by the big blind, which is always the same as the size of the big blind, Yep. which does a couple things. I'll start with the smallest thing it does, which is it makes the ratio of, of antis to blinds always the same. So there is no more 
like pros manipulating like how often they open because at the six twelve two hundred level it's so much more profitable to open correct than at the five one one hundred level right you know, which people like you and me are really paying attention to and thinking right. about and a lot of the people have no sense of I, yeah I gotta believe like, right like tourists don't aren't thinking about that at all right, right. so now it's five one one thousand and six twelve twelve hundred and right. the twelve hundred and the one thousand being the ante that the big blind plays so yeah so so we lose that edge but I'm happy to lose it for the gain that we get by the big blind ante. Right. The the gain is absurd. First of all, the game is so much faster. Yeah. Uh, we get at least 10% more hands per hour, I would say. The um at the win, so they were telling me when they do their one day event, so they have like a 551 day event. They said this year it's an hour earlier it ends than than previous years because of the ante once they started doing it this way yeah yeah that's just how good it is for the actual hands per hour which is great if you have an edge on the field obviously you yep. want that um so that part is awesome it's also just a lot less annoying to like have to have that one person at the table who always has to be told to ante again or if you have a dealer who's not so awesome at math which you know can happen at, at these various casinos where they have to employ so many dealers and trying to make change for the antes becomes a big issue honestly the other thing which is huge is the whose ante is this? Who didn't ante? Yeah. I anteed. I anteed. That's mine, or you know, just or just the confusion of it. There, that's all eliminated right away. Only one person does it, and they know we know how much it is. It's very easy to see if they did it or not. There's nothing to it at all. That is the amount of time and energy that's wasted just on that piece when the dealers like you know they bring it in wrong, and so they don't know who didn't ante, and yeah. the players don't know either, or someone knows but they don't say, or whatever it is. It's just all gone. That alone is worth everything to me. Like, forget it's sped up, which is awesome too. But the lack, the, the, the total clarity around this instead of what happens now with antis, so much better. Yeah, there are, of course, some problems with it. Uh, it's not perfect, but it's significantly better in our opinion. One issue is, for example, if you're pretty short and you go through the blinds and then your table's about to break, that can be a really, really unlucky spot. If you have nine blinds and you just went through big blind, small blind, and your table breaks and you go to under the gun, that kind of yeah. screws you over. Yeah, that's really bad, and yeah. it's that's just the deal, though. Yeah, that's too, just the too deal. Too bad, that... suckers. I don't know what to say about that. I mean, it sucks anyway. It sucks even more now. Yeah, it's and, true. and there are some strategic elements that change here. Mm -hmm. Are we going to talk about this? This is okay to put out in the world. Oh, right? yeah, this is it's, fine. Because it's not everybody can figure this out. It's not huge. Like, Let's you, talk about it. When you're a short stack, you are certainly incentivized to shove an earlier position with a wider range. You have to be. Yeah, because uh, just simply because you're about to p play, pay the huge big blind ante that is for the whole table, not just for your bet. Right. Instead of losing a blind and an eighth, you're losing two blinds on, the next, on that next hand. Now, conversely, once the big blind goes through you, it's sort of heavenly. Yes. Because, I mean, the small blind is the small blind. But once you get to the button, your stack doesn't change for like seven hands. Right. So That's a really big deal. So you're not incentivized to shove as frequently in late position with as wide of a range. Like, you, it's weird. Yeah, you sort of like, you can tighten your late position range a little bit, but you got to open up, depending on how short you are, yeah. your early position range a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's sort of interesting how that goes. But yeah, you actually can be a little bit more choosy. For someone like me, who's always counting my stack, always wanting to know how many blinds do I have based on right. things. So like every four or five hands, I count my stack because the ante has been coming through. I just want to be really clear about it so I can make, make really sharp decisions. I don't have to do that. Like I count my stack when I'm on the button and I don't have to think about it for seven hands, which is a long time. You know, that's like 15 minutes, 20 minutes. It's a big deal. Yeah. Um, and so it makes it easier to like, okay, this is my range and this is my, this is my stack size and that's that. It's, it's better in that way too, for sure. Um, one of the big things which people have uh, questions about, I would say, and the casinos have not solved, at least universally, is what happens when you have less than a blind and you're in the big blind right now. 
Yeah, does it go to the blind or to the ante? Right. Uh, traditionally, the ante is paid first. Correct. So at the aria, it goes to the ante. But at the win, it goes to the blind. I feel very strongly that the win does it correctly and the aria does it incorrectly because if you pay the ante and you're in the big blind and that's all you have is the ante, you're going to have you're going to be all in against someone cuz they yeah. don't have to do anything. The small blind is already automatically all in against you. So you're always all in. If you win the pot, all you get back is the chips that you just had. Yeah. So you win a showdown and you get nothing for it at all. That can't be right. Yeah. I agree. So I think it's way better to say there's no antes this hand. Just like sometimes when someone's got half a blind in the big blind, you don't win the full blind. Like yeah. okay, it's just that one hand. Yep. That's fine. Another way um, that they do it at Binion's is they do button ante instead of big blind ante. Which is also pretty good. Yeah. No, that works just fine, too. Um, the, uh, and I think it should be the same thing, though. Like, um, if, there's, if it's a dead button or something like that, there's just no antes that time, and that's fine. Right. You know, like, so once in a while, there's no antes. Who cares? They're still blinds. But you can't do it that the person who's all in can never even get an extra chip. Yeah. It just seems, like, insane. There's, and you're short as it is. You have to win two showdowns to win any money at all, to win any chips at all. That's crazy. There's some slight tweaks that need to be made still as well with, mm-hmm. with how they do it, with just the sizes of the blinds and the antis. I've noticed because I've played a lot of these events. Yeah. Um, it's, I think up to 612, you can keep the, the 100 chips. But once you go to 816, and then when you have the good structures and it goes to 1224, those need to change. Because right. when you're doing big blind ante, the ante has to be exact change every time. Right. You, can't, you can't make change out of the ante. It, I mean, like, you can, but it slows everything down. It slows everything down a lot. Like, the player who is posting the ante has to eventually have the exact change for the ante, right? right? So the 1600 and 2400 levels are a bit of an issue because it's harder to have that amount of change, especially the 2400 level. Right. So what they really need to do is change 816 to, like, 1K, 1500, 1500, yep. and 1224 to 1500, 25, 25. Right, which or, I think is what Binion's was doing, actually. Okay. And yeah. I really and, and some, some places are doing stuff like that. It's clearly right. Yeah. And I want to highlight what Grant said, too, which is, um, so when you're the big blind and you're anteing, always put exact change out for the ante. Your big blind doesn't matter. Your right, big blind can, can be, be an oversized chip. Yeah. But, like, they all, because the ante has to be correct. Yeah. But your big blind, you're going to get change on. So... Of course, they can make change anyway, but it slows everything down. And what I've seen a lot of people do because it's new is they do exact change for their blind and just throw a big oversized chip out for the ante, which yeah. is clearly wrong and slows everything down. Right. So eventually, I think they'll change to not have those weird. Yeah, like, I think cause, so. Because it's year one. Like twenty five hundred is not so different than twenty four hundred. Of course, you know, fifteen hundred is not so different than sixteen hundred. Right. So they'll figure all of that out, and uh, and it'll be great, and it'll be ubiquitous. And the question that was being asked, what because I did play the uh, three thousand dollar big blind ante tournament at the world series of poker one of their few big blind anti-tournaments this year um the question that everybody was asking is when are they finally going to do this in the main event which i believe will be the last domino to fall because it's the most steeped in tradition and it's a dumb reason but they'll be like well it's the the greatest tournament in the world and it's got all this tradition and we don't want to change it right yeah although they have changed it over the years by giving you more chips and stuff but that's different that's different so what do you think jonathan how long before the main event which is probably the last world series tournament to to burst on this goes to big blind anti I think it's not next year, but I think it's the year after. I could be convinced that it's two years after. I think I can't imagine it's any longer than that. Yeah. I think I think two years from now though is is my best guess. What do you think? I think that's about right. Yeah. I think if I were sitting over under, it'd be one and a half. 
Yep. There's a chance it could happen next year, and that would be really exciting. It would be. Um, I think most of the tournaments are going to go to Big Blind Ante next year because the World Series wants things to go faster, too. They have to pay these dealers and the floor and all that. They'd be thrilled to get everything, you know, to pick up an hour on all of these things that they can. Yeah. It really adds up for them. And even at the Aria and the Win and the Monster Stack, well, the Monster Stack didn't have it, but like people like the players you'll see in the Monster Stack, players you're seeing at the Aria and the Win who are like the rich tourist type people. Yeah. None of them are complaining about it. I kind of expected more complaints. I expected confusion and complaints, and instead there's been none of it. It's just been people like, oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, it's faster and better. No one has a problem with it at all, which leads me to think it's going to be adopted really quickly and maybe as quickly as next year everywhere. But it's possible they'll do almost all the tournaments this way and leave the main event for two years because just in case kind of a thing, you know? Yep. But it was just stupid, but what I expect will happen because it's hard to make things happen quickly. Yeah. And like, I mean, look how long they've been doing the big blind anti structure at the Aria Super High Roller Bowl for years. Yeah, they have. And uh, it's this is the year it finally like started to catch on, even though everyone's always been like, yeah, oh, that seems pretty good. That seems better. That's interesting. Like I have to do it. You do it once. And it's sort of like, oh, of course. Yeah. And then I you and I have talked about this. Like you play any event where that isn't the case. And it's most tilting. of the events I play are not that except like when I'm at the Aria the Wind. But any World Series event, anything in the Rio is not right now. Except for the 3K Big Blind. Right. It's it feels like you're in the dark ages. Yeah. It's like, why are we still using fax machines? We have these cell phones right here. Like, yeah. Well, just email me, man. You know, <laughs> that's what it feels like. Yeah, so I, I want to talk a little bit about that event, the the 3K Big cool. Blind Anti event I played at the Rio. It was a great event. I loved it. Um, it was one of the tougher fields I've ever played in because it's a Tuesday 3 p.m. start and it's a 3K buy-in. So, yeah, you know, tough. like that's going to bring a lot of the pros. It's not no weekend warriors on a Tuesday. So it was a tough field, but I had a lot of fun in the field. Unfortunate with the min cash of 4,500 there. Um, but I do have a couple stories from it. And one is how... My downfall began was such a weird, bad play by a player who seemed to really be thinking about their decision. But considering what we were talking about earlier, about your incentives with the big blind ante when you're a short stack and how you are not supposed to put it in as frequently in late position and more frequently in early position. And, okay, this is the hand that happened. Yeah. All right. So it's a 2,400 big blind. So it's 1,200 small blind, 2,400 big blind, 2,400 ante. I get moved to a new table. I have 33,000. Uh, so, you know, not a great stack, but uh, something can happen. Sure. And I'm in the cutoff with two jacks, and I move in, which I could open normal, but moving in is fine, too. Of course. Uh, Both are fine. Yeah. Um, you sort of protect your move-in range a little bit yeah. by doing that, but it's fine either way. The small blind has 14,000, so about six blinds. Yep, just under. Yeah, and tanks. Begins tanking for a long, long time. And seems to ha- has the look of like a good player. Seems to really be thinking through like, okay, mathematically, is this a hand I'm supposed to go with here? And I was like, oh, does he have like a six off or something like that? I know, like maybe he calls in a normal anti structure, but because it's big blind anti structure and he's just gone through the blinds, he'll wait and not go with a six here. And he ends up calling me with king three offsuit. Yeah. And in a big blind anti structure, that is so bad. Well, here's the one thing I can say about it as a defense is he is getting two to one. Yeah. So that's. Where he may just be saying, like, yeah, I hope I'm... Uh, the problem is you have a lot of kings in your range here, and he's dominated almost always. So t- you want to be in a spot where you're less likely to be dominated? I mean, he needs you to have, like, ace-jack, right? I mean, beyond that, let's, let's forget about the actual yeah. math of it and think sure. about the scenario of the big blind. Absolutely. Let's, let's do he, it. 
he has six blinds. That's enough for fold equity for yes. s- the next seven hands. He's no going to have fold equity if he decides to move in. I would never call here. Yeah. Let me be clear. Um, I would need you to be a psycho for me to consider calling. And even then, I'd probably like, I can probably find a slightly better spot if you're a psycho. Yes, but I mean, like, how about ace three? How I think about it's probably bad even in a normal anti structure? Yeah. But in a big blind anti structure, it's crazy bad. I agree. I agree. Also, it's not like he's in the big blind where at least he's closing the action. Yeah. There's a guy behind him who could wake up with a hand too. So it's not so it's two to one against your hand, let alone there's another guy in. Right. I don't think he's pro I mean, he could at least justify calling if he's in the big blind, but I don't I don't think I would call there either, honestly. Yeah, it's a lot closer though because yeah. you also have more invested yeah. in stuff. Yeah, it's cheaper. Yeah. Anyway, that I thought was a very bad play. Yeah, he ended up winning the of hand. Course of course he ended up winning the hand Obviously. the next the next hand with my twenty K now at twenty four hundred big blind. I pick up King Queen, move in, he has ace jack, I'm out. Yep. So that's how that went. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um but those aren't super exciting, just kind of interesting strategic parts where I feel like that was a big mistake. Uh, I did have a, a pretty interesting hand early on where I was like, wow, I dodged a bullet there. I don't know if that was too spewy, but it was. Uh, it, I started off at a pretty tough table. Most tables were pretty tough in this event. Mm-hmm. And I had I'd spun the stack up a little bit from the 15K starting stack. I had about 34K in the, I think it was the second level, third level, something like that. It was It was a good spot. Yeah. Let me let me think if I can get this actually right. It was the 300 big blind level. I had 34k, so it was a, I think that's the fourth level. Um, we had a late position opener who made it 600, and I was in the small blind with Ace Queen off, and I made it 2100. And the big blind who was a very good player, I didn't know who he was, but he was clearly good. Chance Corners kept coming over and talking to him like they were peers, and mm-hmm. I was like, okay, this is a bad spot with this guy on my left. He makes it. F- he make, I ace-queen suited, excuse me, clubs. He makes it 4,300, which is tiny. Yeah. He has me covered by a little bit. How deep are you here? 34K to start the hand. Okay. Yeah. He has me covered by a little bit. So I guess you have to call, the but initial it's horrible. Razor folds. Yeah, I think it's ace, horrible. Ace-queen off, I might even have to call with this price. I think you probably do, even though you're out of position. It's such a good price. Yeah. And you are kind of deep-ish. Kinda? Right. I mean, stack the pot ain't great, but you flop top pair, you're just going to have to go with it, right? Yeah, and I know this guy's capable. He knows, yeah. like, I've, this is not the first time I've three bet at the table. He's pegged me as a guy who's, like, capable of all sorts yeah. of different stuff, and he's going to have a lot of cold four bets in that spot that other players won't. It know? is small, though. It's it such a small, small butt. That's sm- not great. Yeah, but he's a good player, but so have, I don't know if it means anything. Your hand has value also. Yeah. You can't, like, just throwing it away here seems a little crazy, even though it sucks. This is a bad spot. It's a bad spot, but I call. Here we are. Yeah, I, I feel like I have to. Yeah. The flop is King Jack Jack with two hearts. Perfect. And, uh, yeah, of course I'm not folding on this flop. No. <laughs> so obviously my hand is not very good here. I do have a gut shot to the, to Broadway. Yeah, but it's. I feel like I need to have check raises in my range here against a player like this that are not just you know trip jacks, or else or and flush draws mm-hmm. because that's an exploitable range to be check raising here. Um, so I check. I mean. You need to have more value, right? Like flush draws are going to be... You're going to have more flush draws than you're going to have trip jacks. Well, I'm actually not going to have flush draws that often on in this spot. I'm mostly check calling flush draws in this spot. Okay. Um, cool. Yeah, actually, I think I want to remove the majority of my flush draws that aren't combo draws from my range here. Yeah. And and put hands with less equity into my check raising range, which mm-hmm. ace queen of clubs falls squarely into. Yes, it does. Yeah. Um, so how much does he bet? He, he bets thirty one hundred. I figured he was going to down bet it. Yeah, that makes he, perfect sense. Even he could even bet less. He could bet twenty five hundred. Honestly, yeah, yeah. He bets thirty one hundred, and I'm like, ugh. You just 
you can't just get me like this. You can't just win this giant pot like this. It's not fair. Also, I have kind of a perfect check-raising hand if I'm going to construct my range the way I was talking about. Especially, I like that I don't have the Ace of Hearts in my hand for a couple reasons that I'll get into later. Mm -hmm. And this is all uh, posthumous assessment that it turned out it was lucky that I didn't have the Ace of Hearts in my hand. but And I wasn't thinking about it at the time. Right, but I think right, it actually right. did help. Sure. So I decide to check raise. I'm repping mostly trip jacks here, but I can have a lot of trip jacks because of his sizing preflop. I can have like, if I decided to three bet this guy, who by the way had been opening a lot, the guy who made it 600, so I could be three betting like a lot of, maybe my entire range out of the small blind against this guy. Okay. Um, but you have to call a four bet out of position, so you don't have that many jacks. I mean, so I'm like, definitely not going to fold jack 10 suited. No. You're going to have jack 10 suited, king jack suited, queen jack suited, ace jack suited? And probably ace jack off a little bit. When he makes it this size, are you really going to call Ace Jack off there? I made it twenty one. He made it forty three. We're deep. You just told, you're not that deep. Stack to pot. You're four to one. Yeah, and I'm, you just said Ace. You think Ace Queen off is maybe a call? Yeah. I'm not sure you're calling. Ace okay, Jack off. but Ace Jack suited for sure. Yeah, you have to call Ace Jack suited. You hate it and you have to call. Yeah, so and I do that. have some kings full in my range, but that's not a huge factor, right? And of course, quad jacks. Um, Okay, but you're rarely right. Well, maybe you're check raising quad jacks a little bit, but not very often. So I I decide, you know, maybe the sizing was kind of what got me too. Was just like <laughs> the sizing is not indicative of the strength of his hand here. No, I know, I no. know. I'm, but it's it's not exactly that. It's just that his overall sizing in the hand leads me to believe this is going to be a scenario that happens consistently right. if I continue three betting here. Yeah, and like I'm I can't just like let it keep happening. Okay, effectively. Sure. This is the first time he called four bet you, right? It's the second time. Oh, he'd already he'd called yeah. for what you once before? Yeah. But how many hours have you guys been playing together? Two. Okay. So that seems like a lot. Yeah. Okay. But I mean, he may have just woken up with hands. It's only twice. Well, he certainly did this time if he's telling the truth. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I, 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 like I said, I don't know if I played this the best, but it, it, it happened to work out for me. I, yeah. I, I check raised to 8K. Yep. And uh, he tanked for a while. The new good player thing that I've noticed this year that people do that used to always mean they're going to fold is the look back at the hand and then the fold used to be what happened all the time. Now it's like trendy. It's weird how people act at a poker table. Like there's these trends and now all the good players look back at their hand then they put it back under their cards and then they un always end up continuing in the hand. Mm -hmm. It's like a whole new thing. Yeah. So that's what he did. So for that moment I had that old school feeling of like, oh, he looked at his hand, he's going to fold, this is great. But then he, then he called. <laughs> so that was bad. Uh, the turn was the eight of diamonds. Which can never improve me or him. Uh, so, yeah. and at this point, you know, stack the pot's getting a, a little dicey. Yeah, yeah, I would say a little dicey is correct. It's uh, there's like twenty six thousand in there, and you've got less than that, <laughs> right? Yeah. Okay, or right around that. No, less. Less. less yeah. 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 I've put in. Uh, you've got like twenty three thousand. Yeah. So dicey is the word. I decide that. He doesn't have very many trip jacks. If he has a no. big, big hand, it's king's full, and of course. so be it. Any one pair hand is a tough spot here for him mm -hmm. if I continue betting here. like He might feel obligated to continue on the flop, but can't really continue on the turn too frequently. So okay, the next question is sizing. Like, How am I going to size it to really kind of scare this guy and slash protect my stack, or should I be moving in? That's like These are the questions. I mean, you've got 23K, and there's a 28K pot. It seems... I mean, you're effectively, I mean, from his point of view, you're effectively moving in, but you don't have to actually move in. I guess you could move a lot of your stack in and preserve a little bit, I guess. And it would be like you could bet 17,000 and keep 6,000 back or something if you really want. But we're at the, what the 300 big blind level. Oh, okay. So actually you could preserve 20 blinds and yeah. it still looks like you're moving in. That's probably a cool play, actually. What'd you do? I bet 8,500. Oh, 
Wow. Yeah. That's the I have that's the I have it bet, yeah. I guess, right? That's the I really have I it. I really bet. wanted to try to make it look like I'm trying to keep aces in. Yeah. Like now if like, he calls, are you giving up on the river or are you shoving the river? I don't know yet. Yeah. Good like, answer. I think I'm probably shoving all hearts. I think I have to shove yeah. all hearts because then I have like so much value that beats him. That's good. Um but I'm probably shutting down on a lot of innocuous cards. 8,500 is is an interesting sizing for sure. Yeah. That's terrifying. So he goes into the tank. Yeah, I bet he does. He tanks for minutes and minutes. He does the good player look back, put the cards back many times. And yeah. every time I'm like, oh, God, I'm just blowing up my tournament right yeah. now. I've just like destroyed my tournament. What, what am I doing? Yeah. And eventually he finally just like makes a sad face. And I'm like, oh, it's the sad face. <laughs> and then he folds yeah and then he just kind of looks at the ceiling for like the next orbit yeah and then finally looks at me about an orbit later and he's like did you have it there and i told him i did <laughs> but <laughs> but i didn't and he said i've made a huge fold and i was like oh you had, you had aces and he's like yeah and i was like oh you must have the ace of hearts and he's like yeah so right. that's why i said it was like yeah. i wasn't necessarily thinking about it at the time but him having aces with the ace of hearts made it a lot easier for him to fold because he knows I don't have the nut flush draw then, yep. which weights me a lot more towards value. It's interesting. If you move in, he probably it's easier for him to call. Although yeah. having the ace of hearts still is problematic for right. him, right? It's the same because he's like really hoping you have a flush draw, and it's so hard for you to have a flush draw now. Yeah. Like it's possible, but it's really hard. You could have like you could have the queen ten of hearts, maybe something like. There's not much, yeah. right? Uh, so interesting. Boy, this Ed Miller would really be upset with that guy, right? He'd be like, "Distribution, man, you, there's you can't fold that much yeah. of your range." At the same point, I think my sizing helps yes. me a little bit in this case because if I have Queen Ten of Hearts, I'm so much more likely just to move in and not put myself right. in a spot where, like, if he shoves, I'm like, "Oh God, what did I do?" I agree. Yeah. No, you're gonna bet bigger with with the, your draws there. Yeah, your your big draws. Yeah, you're just gonna yeah, so that way you commit yourself to the pot rather right. than not. I agree. You're definitely doing that. So the sizing does look terrifying, which is pretty sweet. I well, like that. Yeah, I just I, at the end. In the end, I honestly, I just felt lucky that worked out. Like, yeah, I mean, if he folded aces, that feels lucky because a lot of players are just going to say distribution. I call. I mean, I have a sixty-seven percent shot that he has the ace of hearts in his hand, so that's good. That but, is good, but a lot of players are going to say distribution. I call anyway. Yeah. Like, cool. I have the ace of hearts in my hand, but so what? Like, they could also maybe you have. I mean, look, I know you're not going to play ace king like that, right? Um, but I don't know if this guy knows that. I think he's pegged me as a guy who's not going to play ace king like that. So then you have, so he can only beat a draw. Is what we're saying. Yeah. And if he can only beat a draw, there's very little he can beat. Yeah. When he has the ace of hearts. Yep. Well, it's a good thing you that was good timing to go psycho. Yeah. Nice well, job. Went a little psycho. Here's here's an opposite story. Okay. And I'll tell um from the eight 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 World Series event, which costs eight hundred and eighty eight dollars. Thirty minute levels on the first day and then thirty it goes minute to levels hour on the second day. Yep, you start with eight thousand chips, so you start okay. Um so Eric Cajolet, who is uh, a guy who used to show up like on ESPN broadcasts and stuff, and yeah. has had a fair amount of success. I think he's a pro. Super buff dude. Yeah, super buff. Um, not very talkative. Perfectly nice, but not very talkative. He was two to my left. By the way, he was two to my left in that, and then the very next thing I played was the $1,100 Megan. He was two to my left in that one as well. Huh. Super weird. Anyway, um, so he opens in... Uh, plus one. No, he was. I think he was under the gun or plus one. I can't remember if there was a guy between us at this point. I guess there was a guy between us. He opens plus one. We're at the 5,100 level. So we all have a lot of chips. Yeah. He makes it 250. I'm in the big buy one for 100. The button calls, who's a very tight, very passive player, like dream guy you want to play yeah. against. I'm the big blind with king six off. I call for 150 more. Hope to flop a huge hand. Right. I flop a huge hand. The flop is king, king, deuce, rainbow. You prefer the 6-6 six, six deuce, but king-king deuces, you're not going to complain. I'm not unhappy. Um, I check. Casually bets like 375. 
I'm rooting for the tight guy to fold. And then I'm probably, I'm not sure if I'm going to check raise or not. We're going to like figure it out. The tight guy calls. And I'm already not in love with this spot. Uh, I mean, it feels a lot like he has a pocket pair. He can have a pocket pair. He can have a king. Yeah. Um, it feels like a, there's no way I'm raising now. But if he's tight and you have one of the kings, it makes it a lot less likely because he's only going to have like king jack plus, right? And oh, no. He's going to have good kings for yeah. sure. King 10 suited maybe. That's right. like the absolute worst king so he's So just combinatorially, there's a lot more pocket pairs in this range than kings. No question. Yeah. But I'm putting myself in a game theory disaster mode by, by raising now. When, oh. when the tight guy calls and casually sees all yeah, that, casually is going to fold as soon as I raise unless he has a monster. And the tight guy is going to fold too unless he has me beat. I agree with so that. So I feel like I can't raise now. Yeah. When I might have raised casually otherwise because I could, rep, I could be, quote, repping a king when I actually have one and you know just be willing to like, let's go, Eric. Like, yeah. Don't fold your aces or whatever the heck you have, you know. Also, casually had been playing relatively carefully. Um, so I watched him. I'd been watching him the whole time. He'd been not playing big pots except with big hands. He flopped a full house once and went bet, bet, and like they went crazy on the turn. But like he's trying to build pots with big hands and not build pots with small hands. So it's very clear. So him choosing to bet means it doesn't mean he has to have a king here, but he often has, a, he doesn't have nothing. He doesn't have ace queen. I mean, in on that board though, he should have a lot of C bets with. He hadn't been doing that. Yeah, he'd been doing a lot of checking, a lot of pass to play. It's very early in this deep tournament. He's yeah. just not trying to mix it. He's, these pots aren't that big. Okay, so he just wasn't doing it. So, so, so it's likely he has something too. We don't know, but it's very likely he has something too. Okay, the turn is is offsuit seven. Okay, so I'm like, oh, we just missed the full house. That would have been great. Just missed the nuts. I check casually checks. I'm like, cool. I'm like, if the tight guy checks, we have the best hand for sure. Tight guy checks. Bam. But you always have the best hand unless something really weird is going on. Yep. Feel very confident now. River is an offsuit eight. So I decide to bet, and I feel like my hand is kind of face up, honestly, when I bet, no matter what. So I decide, just in case, I don't know, I, I, I bet a little big-ish rather than smallish here. So I bet 12.75. Okay. Which isn't humongous, but it's like, you know, 60% of the pot or something like that. 65%. It is like you always have trip kings here. I know. How do you not have trip kings? I know. I feel dumb betting, but I feel like almost any amount I have always have trip kings here too when I bet. What about checking? Casually is not betting. The tight guy's not betting. Yeah, I guess you have to bet, but it sucks. There's it, just, it's so hard to get value no matter what. So I bet, and I'm like, just in case someone decides to call, I bet 12.75. Casually looks and asks for a count of my chips. And I have like 5,000 behind. Oh, and you're like, why did you ask for... Count? Yeah, and then he puts a huge chunk of yellow in the middle. What yellows are 1,000 chips. He puts like 12K of yellow in the middle. The tight guy folds right away. And I'm looking at him, and I, I know I'm beat. He has eights full, right? Of course he has eights full. Yeah. He like has that. to have two eights in his hand. It's the only hand that makes perfect sense. If he had a full house on the turn, if he had a good king on the turn, he's 100% betting it. I've watched him bet his big hands. He wants action in those spots. So he never is slow playing in, in three ways when it looks like for sure one of us has a king. He 100% has eights full. So I look, and I'm like, you always have it here. I know you always have it here. And I, like, fold because, of course, I fold because he always has it. Yeah. He, like, is forced to have it. He can't have a bluff there. Nope, I didn't think he, I think he literally cannot have a bluff there. I actually even said as I fall, I'm like, if that was a bluff, that's the greatest bluff I've ever seen. Yeah. And then he just mucked his hand and like it can't be a bluff. And he had not been playing crazy either. If he had any psycho at all in him, I could I could or I could say like I guess I have to call, but even if I but I mean, I'm kind of glad I didn't have like king queen there cuz maybe I could, I mean I would fold because I know he has it. Yeah, of course he it's has. It's an it. easy fold. But like even distribution wise, I actually have one of the worst hands I can have here. Like yeah. King Six off is a bad hand. The yeah, six you, doesn't even play. Like we're saying, when you bet the river there, you always have trick. Of course. Kings in of that course I do. Him moving in, I think I can actually fold all my kings there pretty comfortably yeah. and easily. Because I knew he had it. I'm like, look, I'm like, for sure this guy is eight's full. Yeah. Like it's the it's a it's an elementary fold. 
Um, he's never making this play without Aceful. Never in a million years. So anyway, so that was an interesting-ish hand, at least. I mean, in some ways it felt really elementary, but it's one of those things where sometimes on the World Series or on TV you'll see someone fold like trips and you can't believe it and stuff like that. But once in a while someone defines their hand so clearly that they just have to have it. And it helps that you would define your hand so clearly yes. as well. This is, goes back to something you and I have talked about, I think, on this podcast, where um, betting a little bigger in some of these spots actually defines everything a little bit more. Like, I'm a bit more polarized. When I bet 1275, like, I, am, I either have trip kings or I'm bluffing. I don't know how I could be bluffing. I guess I could be turning a deuce into a bluff. Right. Like, um, but there's no reason for him to think I'm overcalling with a deuce anyway. He, I've been playing snug. He'd been watching me. Like, he'd been on my direct left for a lot of this tournament, and I gave him three straight walks. Like... I just didn't have a good hand, and I'm like, who cares? It's 25-50. We have yeah, 8,000 chips. doesn't I matter. Just, I have, you know, jack seven offsuit. I just fold. Like, I don't care. He's a good player. I'm not going to, like, play a hand out of position with him until I have something. So I gave him three straight walks, which he was sort of like, oh, you know, he's like, <laughs> he noticed, you yeah. know? And uh, so, like, he knows I'm not, like, there's no reason for him to think I'm getting out of line is what I'm saying. Right. So it just felt like, yeah, completely straightforward. And it's, it's actually, in some ways, it's nice when it's that easy. Like, you know, poker so often it feels like you're in the nether regions of like, I have a good hand, but this guy's repping a bigger hand. And he, he could have it, but he could have all these other things. And then this was more like, oh, he always has, he always has it. He always has pocket eights. It seems like a good fold to me. Yeah. I mean, if not, like I said, it's an incredible play. But I can absolutely have all the big hands. You can, I can, have, I can, you can have, have king seven. I can have king seven. I can have pocket deuces. Yeah. I can have king deuce. I can have all those things. And I would play them just that way. Yeah. Exactly that way. If it was king six... I, you know, I'd be able to move in on the river. I assume he'd call, and I would get all his chips. Yeah. But instead, I had kings. It was king seven, not king six. It was sad. <laughs> king, king seven, six, on the, not king, king seven on the board. I mean, uh, yeah. yeah. King, king seven, whatever. Um. So yeah. So that was that was like sad, but like oh well. I almost donked the turn, but if the tight guy, the tight guy hadn't freaking called on the flop with his pocket pair, then I would have either check raised or donked the turn for sure. Because I know casually is checking back the turn so often. Yeah. Um, but I don't, and then he's going to probably fold. Maybe not. Maybe he calls with pocket eights anyway. Maybe, Maybe I just lose more. Anyway, whatever. It was it was an interesting spot, and at least you know from an outsider's point of view, I would guess. Yeah. Actually, playing it, it didn't feel as interesting as it sounds. But it was like, man, I have a good hand. <laughs> Folding good hands is the not not a fun part of poker. Yeah. At least that one was an easy fold. You know. Yep. Well. That was the last tournament you played, but now we're on to the main event. Yes. So that's that's tomorrow, day one B for us. So, man, you know, oh man, I'm ready. Put us in your thoughts and prayers <laughs> and whatnot. One of the cool things about playing the main event, and I'm saying this now, we'll see how I feel the next podcast we do or the next vlog we do about it, uh, is that the structure is outrageous. Yeah. Two-hour levels. We're only playing five, hour, five levels in day one. You cannot play a hand in day one. Well, I mean, you'd have to play a hand. If you, if you have your starting stack at the end of day one, you still have like 80 blinds or something crazy 100. like that. 100 blinds, excuse me. It's outrageous. Yeah. So even if like you can basically pick up no hands all day and still come back with like 65 blinds yeah. pretty easily, I would think. So like that's kind of nice, you know? Yeah. Like there's just no reason to force anything. Um, I'm not planning on like taking any like high variance lines if I don't have to. Sure. Sometimes you have to. Sometimes you do. Maybe I'll flop a monster and just got to play a high variance hand. You Maybe know? you'll like, have ace queen on a king jack jack board or something. You know, you exactly. Just you just, just got to check raise the guy who clearly has a aces or kings, and you know, you pray his aces and you pray makes a big fold. <laughs> he doesn't clearly have aces or kings. I know. <laughs> if he clearly had aces or kings, I wouldn't have done that. I know when he called four bets to that size, he often has he often has the aces or the kings. I just feel like he's balanced there. Okay. Maybe. And I've seen him use sizing like that before. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay. Well, then, good for him. Still, he is. I mean, you're going to get him to fold queens, but you block that. 
I know. You also block aces and ace king. I know. A lot of problems there. Glad it worked out. Yeah. Glad it worked out. It worked out. Yeah. There's only, I, I was kind of thinking like he has queens, aces, ace king, and and kings a lot and i'm hoping he has one of them that's easier to fold and i think he's capable of folding ace king and, and queens yeah. and maybe aces too right. you know so it's really not that many of the combos i mean if it's only kings that he's really going to call you down with suddenly it's kind of beautiful right yeah i mean and this is this is one of the things i often think about with poker is that there's not enough like pressure put on good players who can make folds in spots like this where they're actually going to fold everything but the king's full yeah. Now, maybe they aren't anymore. Like, I think they're actually, like, distribution has sort of moved people past that a little bit. But, like, it's hard to call down in that spot, even it, with, with, with one pair. And it's hard to have better than one pair in that spot. I would have never made the play against a weak player. Mm-hmm. Right. Because you're like, they're just going to call me with ace-king. Like, if yeah. you can't get them to full ace-king, it's a bad play. Yeah, obviously. They have to be able to full ace-king. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. All right. I guess we're done with that. Okay. And uh, it's on to the main event for us. Sounds good. Let's do this. Here we go.